1977, George Lucas unleashed the first film in what would become the never-ending Star Wars saga. The movie, Star Wars, would later be shuffled in order and dubbed Episode 4, A New Hope, with its two 1980s sequels making up the original trilogy. Then, in the mid-1990s, Lucas revisited his grand space opera in the movies after spending about a decade reaping the benefits of Star Wars licensing. After giving the original trilogy a quick update with 90s-era film technology, he returned to now what was billed as the saga of Darth Vader to add three prequel films to the official Star Wars canon. Finally, a scant few years ago, Lucas hung up his hat and sold Lucasfilm and the future of the Star Wars to Disney, who is not only making a sequel trilogy that takes place 30 years after the original trilogy, but reviving the animated TV presence of Star Wars and launching standalone anthology films. Star Wars might never end, for better or for worse, so the Fighting in the War Room podcast team has assembled to make Star Wars a topic of debate in a Star Wars special. It's a podcast. This week's Fighting in the War Room Star Wars special will include a very lengthy segment in which Matt Patches tries to convince Joanna Robinson and I that The Phantom Menace is better than Return of the Jedi, followed by a brief conversation with myself and Katie Rich about what it's like living in a Force Awakens world before The Force Awakens even comes out. Don't worry, spoiler phobes, we will have a gong and note in the show notes when the spoilers for The Force Awakens might begin. But first, retention quizzes! We are here with a retention quiz. For each movie in the Star Wars saga, we will take one of our hosts and I will ask them questions about the basic plot and uh, makeup of the movie. These are going to come in chronological order from the film, so maybe that will give our participants some help. Maybe it won't. First up is Joanna with The Phantom Menace, Episode 1. So, Joanna, question number one. Yes. (laughs) Who or what is the titular Phantom Menace. Oh, um... It seems debatable. It is it, debatable. It, I, it, I will accept uh, two answers. I mean, I'll, uh, I will say Palpatine. Yes, right? that, that is one. Or just the general Sith uh, still being right. around. I mean, Anakin is a, like, long-range Phantom Menace, right? Yes, potentially. But uh, I don't think he's... I don't know about that. I think the Phantom Menace points directly to the, the Sith being back. Okay, I guess it doesn't matter because I got it right. Yeah, so. both of those answers <laughs> are correct. <laughs> no, it's still a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, question number two. What is the Trade Federation's given reason for blockading Naboo? Uh, mm, spice taxes? Yes, they're unhappy with the taxation of trade routes. Wait, specifically spice, though? That sounds like Dune shit. That does sound like Dune shit. <laughs> uh, spice, I imagine, would be uh, amongst I, the things that were traded. But, I uh, swear they mentioned spice in the opening, but... There's probably I, a cutscene where a list of racist uh, <laughs> items <would be laughs> rattle off there. Tea and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Silk. That is yeah. so good. All right. What is the fastest way to get from the Gungan Kingdom Uta Gunga to the Naboo Palace in Theed? Through the core, duh. That is right, through the planet's core. I'm going to do so much worse on my quiz because <laughs> you just watched this movie. Anyway, sorry. Probably. I did. I cheated by I'm actually watching the movie. <laughs> Why do the Jedi and the Queen ship eventually land on Tatooine? Why do the Jedi and the Queen's ship... Uh, okay, yeah. So they're trying to escape, mm-hmm. uh, and they, uh, I don't know, maybe they're being attacked, pursued, or running out of batteries. No, no, yeah, yeah. And a part of the ship is broken, and they need a new part. So they land on Tatooine hoping to find it. Yes, right? their they Tesla to, model they is They have to fix the broken hyperdrive. <laughs> plug in. You forgot to plug in, Obi-Wan, you fool. How could you? Um, what mythical creature does young Anakin Skywalker thinks think lives on the moons of Yego? There's a lot of plurals in there. Hmm. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm never gonna get this one. I, I I have no idea. Angels. Oh yes. Are you an angel? <laughs> and that's that's how the saga technically begins. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I forgot his amazing pickup line to Padme. All right. Yeah. I determined if she was, in fact, an angel. That's, um, that's my Reddit theory. Yeah. Episode seven. <laughs> the most beautiful creatures in the galaxy. Padme is actually secretly a Sith angel. Or you know what? It could be a tie to that um, Nicolas Cage movie. What was it called? The Knowing, where all the aliens are actually angels. Or angels are an- an- Never mind. Oh, Fuck I was it. thinking City of Angels, where he's an angel. Oh, right. He's a literal angel in that one. <laughs> Nick Cage is Padme. <laughs> what is the name of the pod race Anakin has entered in? Uh, and the, please say it in the original Hutties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the Tatooine Five Hundred. It is the Bunta Eve Classic. Oh, clearly. Really? <laughs> did you did you notice that uh, Jabba had like a girl in? A Leia bikini, like she had pants, I think, with it. So did Leia, right? I don't know. Really? Anyway, anyway, she was wearing like the exact same design, and I was like, really? In like I don't know what thirty years, Jabba never changed the design of the bikinis he slapped on his slave ladies. Okay, I can't. In that scene, I can never stop looking at the lady hut behind him mm-hmm. because I am always trying to tell, like, is it supposed to be a lady hut? She has a more like female face but they both have girth um kind of, she kind of has a bosom but so does he it's weird it's weird is it uh, oh these these are how i spend those three minutes of staring Jabba at, at yeah. hut bosom all right yeah exactly did you see the clone Lost wars uh movie patches i never did all maybe right. i have to do that for another that podcast. would answer a lot of your questions about <laughs> huts. Hut, hut bosom done <laughs> 
All right, next next Phantom Menace question. This pod racer who has a pod with four engines doesn't make it into the race because of a failed power coupling. Four engines. I mean, I don't know. But I the guy who yeah, the guy who stalled. He has a very the, long face. He does I have a very long face. I don't know. Ben Quadraneros. Oh, I I mean I appreciate you trying to give me the four engine hint. For Quadraneros, but uh, yeah. Who could forget the uh, the running commentary from the two headed alien about poor I, Ben Quadraneros? I could. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of Samuel L. Jackson's Jedi Master that is wary of training young Anakin? I, I mean, Yoda? <laughs> no. Noda. Oh, no, no. What's Samuel L. Jackson's name? Is that your question? Yes, yes. Mace, Mace Window. Yeah, right. c- correct. <laughs> His name is Yoda, too. I thought you were asking who Mace Windu's master is. Is Yoda Mace Windu's master? I don't believe so. I know Yoda is Qui-Gon Jinn's master, but none right. of that is... Or that's the only thing that's referenced in The Phantom Menace. We could get into expanded universe, but it's, then it becomes weird about what actually exists. You know why I'll never forget Mace Windu's name, right? Because of Jimmy Fallon's... Hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Wicka Wicka Mace Windu. From Saturday Night Live. I'm glad uh, that that that's, stuck with you. That's, that's in my the head reason. forever. No, also because Mace Windu is great. Okay. Yeah, he's so, the like, only new character. <laughs> the, uh, the conclusion here is there needs to be a Ben Quadraneros song, apparently. Yeah, cl- clearly. Um, uh, Joanna, what are midichlorines? Okay. Um, so they're microorganisms that live inside us. Uh, and we have a sim- oh, we live inside the Jedi and they have a symbiotic relationship with the Jedi, and the higher the midichlorian count inside of you, the better control of the Force you have. Uh, and Anakin has, like, what is it, 2,000, I think? Either 2,000 or, like, 20,000. Uh, one of those. He's got a lot. They're microscopic it's- beings living in cells that connect living beings to the cosmic Force. I mean... T- did I kind of get it? No, you you got it. You got okay. it as it applied to the plot, which is what's important. Okay. Because midichlorians are not important. <laughs> um, what is the name of the chancellor of the, of the Galactic Senate that Amidala calls for a vote of no confidence against? Oh, uh, does Terran's stamp count? D- no. Uh, mm. It rolls off uh, the tongue in that weird accent they're having her do. Uh, Valorum. Valorum? That is correct. Chancellor Valorum. Terran Stamp's so wasted in Phantom Menace. <laughs> he mostly just looks shocked and overwhelmed. Yeah, he just looks sad and sits down. He's like, oh. Padme finally reveals herself as Queen Amidala in conversation with this CGI character. Boss Ness. Yes. What is the name of the Gungan captain? I don't know. Captain Topples. <laughs> okay. Can I just say something about Boss Ness? I was listening to the Phantom Menace commentary the other day, yeah. as you do. And Boss Nass is not a different species of Gungan, as some may assume. He's apparently the older version of Gungans. So, like Eventually, Jar Jar, Gungans just get round. Yeah, Jar Jar will look like Boss Nass at some point in his lifespan. Does Boss Nass have the ears? I don't know. Maybe you lose the ears and you just get. Or he fat. has them open side of his little hat. Also, oh. George Lucas calls them uh, uh, Gangans, or like who cares? No, wait, no, he calls them Gugans. He calls them Gugans. Who cares? Who cares what George, George Lucas, thinks. Lucas thinks? Okay, we'll get into this later. Last question. What is Qui-Gon Jinn's dying wish? That Obi-Wan train the boy, a.k.a. Anakin. 
Yes. That is correct. No, as this he, is Star Wars 7. As he sort of paws at Obi-Wan's face, <laughs> which is great. Um, yeah. Grow a beard. How did I do? You did, you did really well. You know, you definitely retained the Phantom Menace over the 24 hours since you last saw it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now I want to hear Patch has just ace the Jedi quiz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do as well. We'll see. Some notes. M- minor character names. Pretty, it's pretty rough. Can't believe there was no Aura Singh question. I didn't want to make it hard. I just wanted to make sure you know everybody had the movie at the tip of their. And their there eyes. wasn't any like, "Hey, Warwick Davis is in this question." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Aura Singh is the weirdest cameo. Who is that for? Uh, Wait, what did she? When did she first appear? When did she first appear? It was like a. I she mean, in EU. And then they brought her in, like, brought her into Phantom Menace? No, she's in the Phantom Menace, and then she became a character in the EU. Oh. So, really, she's just there as an observer? No. Really? She just looks cool. Yeah, it's That's- the same way, like, they're doing the same thing with the new movies. You just haven't noticed because you haven't noticed anything. But, like, these tiny characters are launching stuff. No way. Yeah. Oh, she's I done. know what you're talking about. Okay, all right, all right. We're back with another retention quiz. This time, it is the third movie of the original trilogy versus Mr. Matt Patches. So, Patches. It's going to kick my ass. We'll we'll see. (laughs) It's going to take revenge. No, it's just going to return. I feel like this... I feel like this one's a little easier because it doesn't involve, like, side politics. Like, all the plot in Return of the Jedi is pretty much straightforward. Um, Okay, Return of the Jedi begins with what character's arrival where? Um, let's see. I think it begins with R2-D2 and C-3PO landing on Tatooine and arriving to the gates of Jabba's palace. Oh, no. Oh, wait, no, no, no. The Emperor comes to the Death Star. It's incomplete. Oh, close, but no. Damn it. Somebody comes to the Death Star. Darth Vader gets to the incomplete Death Star. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) We got there. We worked through it. Yeah. I, I also thought it started with Jabba's palace. No, it has one scene where Darth is like, what the fuck? Why isn't this built yet? And Hurry then it's up. like, and then it's like, wipe Jabba's palace. Yeah, first we have to do some labor union <laughs> talk. Well, some us- chokeholds. Usually in a Star Wars movie, it'll pan down or up to a planet look. So you spend oh. you begin in space in most every Star Wars movie. Hopefully that'll keep going, but we'll 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 see in December. All right, patches. Name one method of droid torture glimpsed in Jabba's palace. Um, yes, I think they burn the feet of a medical droid. That is correct. (laughs) Why would a a bot, why would a droid feel pain? It's it's more traumatizing than that. It actually says no as the hot irons are being lowered to its feet. Translated? No, no, it says no. You in like droid voice. No! No, no, no! (laughs) Yeah. And then it goes, oh. Why did they build me with these feet sensors? (laughs) 
Ouch! It's an impractical place. (laughs) (laughs) All right. By the time Luke shows up to Jabba's palace, all the spies are in place. Who are they, and what are their positions in the palace? (sighs) Okay, so Lando is a guard. He's just a Jabba's palace guard. He is. Um, Leia is a bounty hunter of which race? I can't remember. Bothan? Uh, I believe so, yes. But she shows up and then she gets captured, so I would also accept Slave Girl. I would not accept Slave Girl. She's an assassin first, bounty hunter first. Well, at the time, I I guess you could could take... uh, Okay, so when he gets there, she's already in Slave Bikini up against Jabba. Correct. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, R2-D2 is serving... Uh, he's got the tray fixed on top of his head. Correct. C-3PO is in translation mode by Jabba's side as well. And uh, I think Han ha- – yeah, Han has been leaked from his carbonite and uh, he and, and Chewie is in jail with him in that, a prison cell. That is correct. That is all the spies in, wow. in place. You nailed it. Yeah. Damn. Boom. All right. How does Luke try to assassinate Jabba before being dropped in the rancor pit? Ooh. Does he f- use the force to have someone try and shoot him? He, yeah, he pulls the blaster to him with the force and uh, tries to shoot him. He wow. actually tries to shoot him himself, but the, somebody blocks his arm. Yeah, that's not very Jedi of Luke. No, but the guy who blocks his arm is the, the pig guy that gets eaten by the, the rancor. But he first. doesn't come in with a lightsaber, so I guess there's some forgiveness there. That's true. How does Boba Fett fall into the Sarlacc pit? Um, I believe I, I believe Luke Skywalker hits his jetpack with the lightsaber, and it fries, and it it goes off and sends him flying into the Sarlacc pit. Wait, can I answer this one? Y- yes. Blind Han Solo accidentally fumbles into him. <laughs> y- yes, that sets off <laughs> his jetpack. My mistake. <laughs> it sends him flying into the pit. Blind Han Solo. Boba Fett, one of the most revered characters in the Star Wars like canon. Falls in Starlight Pit because Han Solo blindly fumbles into him. It's pretty dumber great. than anything Jar Jar has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one's kind of tough. Two characters in this movie use canes to walk. Who are they? Oh. Two characters use canes to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, is one of them Han Solo at some no. point? Okay. I didn't know if while he was blind he was using a cane. A cane? Yeah. I was not the emperor. Yes. The emperor is one of them. He uses a cane. It's really difficult to see because his robes are so flowing, but when he arrives on the Death Star, he is using a cane to walk, and that's also why, does why it is one of the most so powerful fast. force wielders need a cane. Is it a saber cane? Well, <laughs> like a sword follow, stick? <laughs> follow the that's logic awesome. of that question to find the second answer. Um I don't know. Does I I'm not sure. Yoda. Yoda. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. He has a little wooden cane. Yep. He has the. Doesn't he have a cane in? Uh, oh, I guess he doesn't have the cane yet in the prequels, right? Oh, I think he does. Yeah. If I okay. remember the Phantom Menace shot of him CGI kind of yes, stalking CGI around Obi Wan. Oh yeah, he has the cane, but he and he has a holstered lightsaber. I guess they all have holstered lightsabers. Anyway, I'm sorry. Okay. Wait. Off well, that means his. That means his cane. Yoda's cane does not is not made of Dagobah wood. Dagobah. Yeah, probably not. There's Just probably a whole prequel out, really movie important. about that that we could we could have gotten. <laughs> Yoda's cane story. How we old... might still get it. Oh, yeah. How old does Yoda claim to be? Ooh, 
I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to go with like 900 years old. That is correct. <laughs> you're, you're doing much better than you, you said you were going to do. Well, these movies run deep in my, <laughs> my life, in my history, so there's probably some, some facts to be dredged out. What does Yoda tell Luke he must do to become a Jedi? Um, kill Darth Vader? Just confront, but confront Vader. Oh. Well, yeah. I don't Same know if thing. killing is like a... I don't know if... Killing would seem weird. Killing would seem weird. Yeah. It, it felt weird coming out of my mouth just now. Confront <laughs> is much more zen. <laughs> Samurai-esque. Uh, come, come to terms with... <laughs> yeah. Chat. Chit-chat with Darth Vader. Go, heal your, heal your psychic wound with... Darth, that. you make me feel like this <laughs> when you do this. No, I statements, Patches. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, statements. I feel when you do this. <laughs> <laughs> Guidance counselor? Uh, Yoda says there is another Skywalker but who actually tells the audience that Leia is Leia is Luke's twin sister Uh, I think it's Luke yeah he guesses in conversation with Obi-Wan ghost Obi-Wan force ghost Obi-Wan oh that's what these two movies have in common it's a whole bunch about force ghosting but that's neither here nor there. Wait, what, which what, what other movie? Uh, Phantom Menace and uh, R- Return of the Jedi. Now I want it. I'm, yeah. uh, that's more about the legacy of Qui Gon Jinn that we could we could talk. Now about I want to see then. Star Wars colon Force Ghosting. Force, force Ghosting. <laughs> force go to call. <laughs> <laughs> um, what race of spies died to get the Death Star two plans? Oh. Wait, that might be Bonthins. Is that Bonthins? That is Bonthins. Nice. So I'm probably incorrect about Leia's uh, assassin or uh, bounty hunter character. Well, I don't know. They could both be Bonthins. They could both be Bonthins. Why not? Well, we'll have to look that up. <laughs> what are the two missions, one laid, led by Han and one led by Lando, that make up the Rebels' final attack? What are the two missions? Yep. What do they have to do? What do they have to do? So Han has to disable the force field, and then Lando has to go in and, like go inside the Death Star and blow it up. That is correct. What were the Ewoks planning to do to Han Solo? I guess eat him. <laughs> At least cook him. But well, that's, that's <laughs> always overlooked. I would assume you don't just cook him and then throw away the meat. That's always the sinister part of the party at the end where the that Ewoks playing up. the helmets of the, the Empire guys. And you're like, why are they just the helmets? This feast is all Empire meat. The soil and green are stormtroopers. Um, maybe they're just tanning his hide. Like maybe they just wanted to use his. Uh, That's true. You know. Death by fire is a very effective <laughs> way of just killing people. They're not necessarily going to eat them. Leia, Leia was her character's name was Boosh, like the mighty Boosh, I guess B O U S H H. But I don't see a race. But that was like the character name. Fair. Oh, Ubi's, Ubi's bounty hunter. Okay. Ah, so mm. there's my confusion. Not Bothans. Yeah. No. Bosh sounds like Bothans. You can see. I see where you came from. For also, example, you got really confused. <laughs> also, Didn't even type, care about that part. If you type Emperor Kane into a Google image search, uh, you'll find that you can buy this amazing, like, a lot of people <laughs> own replicas of the Emperor's Kane. It's important to people. Can't wait for to get real old <laughs> and be using Emperor's Kane. <laughs> Uh, we see C-3PO telling what story to the tribe of Ewoks in their own language. Um, the, star, the story of Star Wars 1. 
uh, the story of Empire Strikes Back. Oh, damn it. Because <laughs> he does all the walker sounds. It's like the coolest C-3PO moment. That's the coolest C-3PO is in the entire saga. What sounds does he do? And then he does the little <laughs> walker sound. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Um, what does Princess Leia remember, Leia remember about Senator Amidala? Wait. She actually says Senator Amidala? No, she says no, her mother. like, but... my mother, my real mother. <laughs> okay, I wanted to dispute that fact. Um, what does she remember about her? I don't know, that she looked like an angel? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Close. Uh, she was beautiful, kind, but sad. And an angel. And an angel. Lived on the forest moons of Yego. Um, Wonderful uh... hats. Loved that woman. Great broad. <laughs> What's the famous trap in the line, it's a trap, referring to? Um, I think they all light speed or hyper jump, whatever, whatever you call it in Star Wars. Um, and then they get there and they're all being attacked already. Or the Death Star is fully operational. Joanna is correct. Uh, Death Star 2 uh, is actually operational. I'm afraid you will find it's fully operational. <laughs> wow. This is gonna be this is gonna be a lot of a lot of impressions. Is I like no. this. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> Take full advantage. Who teams up with the Ewoks to take an ATST? Chewie. Yeah. Who's the first? <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> <coughs> Who is the first character in the Star Wars trilogy to use a throne lightsaber offensively? Ooh. A throne lightsaber? Yes. Not like Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa. But it's a throne made entirely of lightsabers. That, I would that art exists. That. that is a fan art that already exists. I know this. I do not have to Google. Uh, I assume that has to be Luke. Who could it be? No, it's Darth Vader. He uh, throws is- his lightsaber to get Luke down from a platform in the Emperor's chamber. That's pretty rad. It is pretty rad. What if, uh, a lightsaber throne would be very burny to sit on, right? Uh, well, no, it would be the lightsabers would be sticking out. It's not like when you sit on the Iron Throne in Game of Thrones, you get a bunch of swords up your butt. Well, kind of. I mean, uh, okay, anyway. I think jo- Joanna's argument is that you could sit on the flat side of a sword. You can't sit on the flat side of a lightsaber. Right? Be a little yeah. bumpy, but it's got some the fan, All the fan art has just, like, the lightsaber stuff sticking out the top. So you're right, Patches. Like a little lightsaber peacock. Yeah. Uh, what does Darth Vader yell as he throws the Emperor to his death? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what does Darth Vader yell? Yes. Uh, well, since he yelled no in episode three, he should have yelled yes <laughs> in Return of the Jedi. Um, I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Son. No. Not, not my daughter, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that cane. <laughs> I don't know. He yells no again. Really? Yep. You're so close. Oh, shit. Uh, who are the two pilots that make it to the center of the Death Star and blow it up? Lando Calrissian. Yes. And I want to say his name is uh, Nyub Nub or <laughs> Oh, he's also in, in the Millennium Falcon, but there's another ship with another pilot that has a name that we recognize. Oh, uh, is it Wedge? Uh, it is. Lando yeah. and Wedge make it to the center of the Death Star. Isn't I don't Wedge... Wasn't Wedge Antilles like Ewan McGregor's uncle, the actor who plays Wedge Antilles? I think there is some connection there. Okay. Yeah, but was he just was he that Wedge or the first Wedge? There's a there's, there's multiple Wedges. 
the wedge in the first movie i think was played by a different actor for like one scene bob mcgregor yes you mcgregor is his uh is is dennis lawson aka wedge until he's uh his his nephew yeah awesome or, or he is the uncle he and it comes full circle <laughs> Previously on the Fighting in the War Room podcast, we have talked to Matt Patches about Star Wars, specifically his opinion that The Phantom Menace, the f- episode one first of the prequel trilogy that people usually don't like, is somehow better than Return of the Jedi, the last of the original trilogy that some people don't like for various reasons that I'm sure we're going to cover here, specifically because I don't know. Patches, you like pod racing and hate Ewoks? Uh, I think it's a little more, it's a little broader than that. Yeah, a little more nuanced there. Um, Let's get down to the midichlorians about it. (laughs) um, No, so this is a really complicated conversation because I think Return of the Jedi was one of my favorite movies of the Star Wars. I mean, when, when I was young, really young, I loved Return of the Jedi because it had more explosions and color and it was just wild like going from the desert to the to the forest to the death star there's so many moving parts um and as george lucas will admit he just loves throwing in as much stuff as he can so he can crisscross back and forth to to build momentum uh and he does it in a lot of the movies but over the years i think i've lost i definitely have lost my my affinity for return of the jedi uh, within the original trilogy, I think Star Wars is definitely the best of all the movies. Empire Strikes Back is amazing. Um, and Return of the Jedi is just kind of like a lot of stuff. And in a third entry, that's not necessarily what you're looking for. Um, and I have some theories about kind of the arc that goes across the prequel films too. You know, I think Star Wars, the original 77 movie, was, is, is George Lucas in auteur mode. Uh, and he wanted to make a very specific movie for himself. He always wants to make movies for himself. Uh, and here he did. This is just his childhood. This is just his fantasies, dreams, kind of smooshed into one archetypical Joseph Campbell, you know, classic tale. And that's all for him. And I think when we get to the prequels, especially Phantom Menace, the first one back after so many years. How many years was it? I don't know it off the top of my head. Return of the Jedi was 1983. Phantom Menace is 1999. So we're talking... 16 years. 16 years. That's actually not a whole lot. Um, But for me, Phantom Menace is George Lucas just making movies for them. uh, Reinventing what he did with the original Star Wars, but just for a younger audience. Detached almost from what he was doing with his first Star Wars trilogy. Um, You know, what if he was using modern technology modern ideas, uh, reverse engineering his story, but it's very much for the audience. Very little of him in it. I mean, his obsessions kind of trickle in because he's making the movie in the end, but it's not as much about what Star Wars, the first movie, was about. And then there's Return of the Jedi, which is kind of between these two ideas. It's still kind of George Lucas trying to wrap up what he started, you know, interfering with director Richard Marquand, 
because they were going over schedule, over budget. Lucas wants it to be his, but it's not his. And it's kind of for people, you know, at this point, <clears throat> Star Wars fandom is huge. And there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of demands. Like you feel fandom rumming up against Return of the Jedi in a lot of ways, tying up these stories, you know, still having twists. Oh, Leia, she might be, she has Jedi powers. She, uh, she's a sister. You know, what, what is this movie all about? Like why? Why are all these things happening? They just are because they have to keep upping the excitement and surprising fans. So I think it's a little wishy-washy in that way and gets muddled in trying to add more, more, more for the fans. But still, George Lucas trying to be – it's his movie to make. So in that respect, I think Phantom Menace ends up being a more individual film, um, reigniting something about Star Wars in a total – in like diametrically opposed to the first Star Wars film. And why is Phantom Menace – Ultimately superior to Return of the Jedi because, well, they both end up like just loading up on lots of stuff. But Phantom Menace, I mean, there's a meta quality to that film that I still feel when I watch it today. I watched it just a few days ago. I watched it through a few days ago and then watched it with commentary a few days ago. And I, I enjoy them both. I, like, I enjoy watching it with Lucas's commentary almost as much as I do just watching the movie uh, you know, straight through as it was meant to be seen, because there's a meta quality to it. Coming back to Star Wars 16 years later, after, I mean, the fandom it was probably hotter than ever because of toys, comic books, video games. Uh, Shadow of the Empire probably had something to do with why Phantom Menace was so exciting. The, the re-release of the original truly definitely had something to do with it. You know, when I saw the re-release, the special edition, I was not angered by... The tinkering as much as other people. I didn't feel a violation there like other people have. And I still don't. I think some of the changes look bad. The CG in the Star Wars Special Edition looks awful. Terrible. Looks awful. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of egregious. But I also really hold George Lucas, you know, I, I, I consider him an artist in this respect. Uh, it's his movie to make. It's his movie to reinvent constantly. And I can understand wanting to do that on some level, um, to keep pushing and making it closer to what he imagined the first time. But then, then he gets to play with those same toys in Phantom Menace and just go apeshit. You know? I think Phantom Menace is bewildering in some ways, just like, why is, why Jar Jar? Why do you even have this character? Well, I love Charlie Chaplin films. Well, I guess that's a reason. Just throw it in. Why not? Um, and it's this cavalcade of the bizarre. <laughs> it is, it is, you know, the first, uh, the first thing we see in Phantom Menace, I believe, is Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon coming into the yeah. Trade Federation. They're breaking in. The, the No, they're landing on a diplomatic mission. Right, but then very quickly, the lightsabers are out. Right, right. They're running around, uh, you know, fighting off droids and using lightsabers to, like, melt through doors and do things we had never seen before. Uh, finally, we're seeing the full extent of what... The uh, force speed. The force, yeah, the force can do, the Jedis can do. You know, the, the original movies were very prohibitive in, in a great way. Like, that restraint really helped them. You know, you might compare it to Jaws. Jaws wouldn't be the movie it is if the shark really worked. Uh, and in some ways, the original Star Wars trilogies, these face-offs where it's really just standing in one place and taking a few swings at each other. Well, that's beautiful. And I think in Attack of the Clones, 
and Revenge of the Sith, we really see how having no restrictions can be so disappointing. Yeah. And I think even more for me, like video games, what was the video game where one of the guys brings down an entire shit with the Force? Oh, uh, Force Unleashed. Yeah, fuck that. Um, <laughs> awful. So, so very stupid. But here at least, like, Phantom Menace, because it wasn't shot completely digitally, like Attack of the Clones and Retur- uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, it still looks like a film. It has this grainy quality. It looks beautiful. And, but getting to see it in a shiny new version, this kind of pristine uh, alternative uh, variant of the original Star Wars aesthetic is really – it's really beautiful at, at points. Uh, and I do get caught up in like miniatures being shot of Naboo and like integrated with CG. And Jar Jar and the rest of the CG characters don't actually they, – they hold up. They still hold up I think. And hey. – and they and they just there's so much stuffed into it. It's so strange. The movie takes so many weird turns and so many like you can't understand why it would have to be this funny, but you can. You can because it's just for them, and that's what this all goes back to. George Lucas is making a cartoon for kids, and that's cool. Like kids deserve to have a really fun, kooky movie. That's also yes, it ha- it's cluttered with Trade Federation nonsense, but that's fun too. The mistakes no. are fun. Bad movie culture. <laughs> everything we love about bad movie culture is built into Phantom Menace. There's goofy stuff for kids, and there's terrible shit for adults, and it's so dumb. But it's also so fun to see these characters come back to life and to see George Lucas go off the chains or off the, off the rails uh, and to see Star Wars go off the rails. And that's why I like Phantom Menace more than Return of the Jedi because Return of the Jedi is milk toast, and Phantom Menace is a crazy risk that doesn't work. Narratively, but it does work as like a, a, a Wikipedia filler and something to talk about for the till the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, <laughs> you tell me why I'm wrong, because then I probably will have more nuanced uh, responses to, to why I like this. Yeah, Joanna, you would, do you want to take it? Um, I will start by saying this. I think both. I, I see the flaws in Return of the Jedi. I see that some people think the Ewoks are silly. But <clears throat> if you think the Ewoks are silly, I mean, that's there for the kids as much as pod racing and, and Gungans and stuff like that. Um, but what Return of the Jedi, the advantage Return of the Jedi has is it's the momentum of the trilogy, right? So you get to see these characters who you already care about reach a satisfying conclusion to their saga. Um, you know, you care about Luke, you care about Leia, you care about Han, you care what happens with Darth, you care about his redemption. There's just See, all I this satisfying... I just think there's all this satisfying character conclusion in that, that, that Phantom Menace absolutely does not have, except for, honestly, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, because he did such a good job of, you know honoring Alec Guinness in his performance. And so you just see the connective tissue there. I, like, I really don't know how much of my love for Ewan McGregor in the, the prequels are, uh, is about how he was my number one crush in the nineties. But I really honestly think he is, does an amazing job with what he's given. And as I told Dave yesterday, the only time I think Phantom Menace works is when Ewan McGregor is quipping or Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are fighting things with their lightsaber. And that's like half the movie. Yep. So if it were 50%, if it were just Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fighting things with their lightsabers and hopping around. And I like, I agree with you. So watching 
Ewan McGregor's stunt double do this like jump kick move that he does like three or four times. Yeah. It's kind of exciting because we hadn't seen a lightsaber fight of that of that magnitude before and a lot of people <clears throat> consider the Darth Maul Qui-Gon Obi-Wan fight the the ba- the best lightsaber battle that ever could be ever will be and and that's maybe true um I'd actually kind of like Darth Maul too to be honest with you Darth but, Maul's awesome I love the scene where they encounter him on Tatooine for the first time actually. yeah I mean we all love Duel of Fates very well, cool I, scene I mostly love that except it's hampered by freaking jake lloyd being there at all you know it's just like jake lloyd and jar jar are such terrible anchors to this movie that it's just it's really but that like that scene specifically is where you really know that this is not this is george lucas gifting something to young people very young people right to put jake lloyd in the seat of one of these these um naboo fighter ships um, as all these adults are going off and saving the problems, he's going to go up there too and and shoot some stuff and not really feel confident but doing it anyway because he knows he has to try and save the day like all these adults. Like that is such – it's not mean, for older people. I think you're right. You're definitely right. Uh, he His kids were you know, um, older than Jake Lloyd but around that age. Uh, I watched a behind-the-scenes video yesterday because I was trying to figure out when Ewan McGregor is wearing a wig and when he's not because there's a couple scenes where he's wearing a wig. And so I watched some behind-the-scenes footage of him getting his hair cut. Like, his hair was really long and they buzzed it but left the bit so that they could braid it and (laughs) did not leave the bit so that they could do the ponytail that was, like, added later. But they left the bit so that they could braid it. And in that video, there's Lucas and his two kids are just, like, bouncing around this room watching Ewan McGregor get his hair cut, talking to him about Star Wars. So, yeah, I agree with you that it does very much feel like this is George Lucas in dad mode giving something to his kids, um... But it's but also I, about I, it's also that's there to, in Jedi. I think with the Ewoks, if you want to talk about like something for kids, uh, as a as a child of the eighties, I freaking loved Ewoks. Sure. If I no, were me an too, adult, me too. if I were an adult watching Jedi, I mean, I I can't watch it now without my associations with my own childhood. But if I were an adult coming cold in a Jedi, I'd be like, who are these teddy bears? I'm not really into it. But as I, bad, I like as, Wicked. I, Wicked I, is cute. <laughs> As sad as like silly as the Ewoks might seem to some people, I mean they're friggin' sophisticated as hell compared to Jar Jar Binks. So you know, well, not which the rest is, of the Gungans. That's that's a misquote from Spaced, I think. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. But Jar Jar Binks. I haven't Binks. seen a character that dumb. <laughs> You know, George Lucas often talks about, and I think this is in the film. I think people already know this, and George Lucas just tells you because. He wants to remind you that, yes, he made artistic decisions during this, but you you already get this from the film. Um, there are a lot of um, moves, camera moves and design choices made, script choices too, that um, try to make the movie feel more realistic in some way or more down to earth. You know, this is not Phantom 70s starship television. Yeah, exactly. Phantom Menace. Um, so there's a scene where... C-3PO, we get to see it from his point of view, kind of like walking around as Anakin's building something. And it's kind of a very sloppy camera move because it is this junky robot that's half built watching his his creator walk around the room. It's a really interesting kind of handheld movement that seems out of line in the rest of this, uh, you know, masterfully tailored film. Or I think of... um, There's a scene where Jar Jar Binks is flailing so much that he's kind of dipping in and out of a frame. Uh, when 
Qui-Gon and the crew are getting back on the Naboo shuttle to go home. And it's like, why, you know, why wouldn't you just keep him in frame? You spent all this money, the CG, to, like, keep this guy right front and center. But, no, he's dipping in and out of frame because he is so – he's just such a weird character that that's how real people would move. Um, and it, it but- kind of – Subtly, subtly plays with our perception of that. And I think Jar Jar is interesting because he is unlike any other character in the Star Wars universe. He's a complete fuck-up. Uh, and yes, I do think some of the choices about like making him a hero are strange. But, you know, I do get that that's a, an homage to Chaplin and that kind of thing. Um, if only Jar Jar had been a silent character like Chaplin, right? Yeah, um, no, <laughs> I, I, I agree. Look, this movie is not perfect. and uh, But what you say about, you know, the, the realistic things via camera movement, I think he blows that on a macro level when you get to say, like, the, the fight between the droids and the Gungans at the end. That battlefield that they're fighting on, I mean, it's... It's a CGI confection, but it looks like so video game because the the grass is just bright green and the sky is bright blue. And when See, you compare the weird thing that, is I think that's real. I think that field is no, real. no. The the field might be real, but like the color correction is not real. It's it's video game bright. Sure. And when you compare that to a forest planet or a desert planet or any of the other things, it just doesn't feel like a real place. Uh, well, that, I was surprised no. by that rewatching that because a lot of the the sh- the tanks in that scene are real, and when they blow up, it looks really cool. Unlike Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, where that's all CG all the time. There's still so much miniature use in there, even among hordes of CGI Gungans doing battle with their like blue blobby force field. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what the fuck that is, but um, there's just this mesh of real and unreal and it's i don't know it's a pretty cool sensation i find phantom menace to be artistically fulfilling aesthetically fulfilling on a level that i don't of return of the jedi there's not a lot of beauty in return of the jedi uh i can only think of like one scene that i think is truly stunning and that's the big space battle uh at the end surrounding the death star i mean maybe a little bit of the surrounding areas of Jabba's palace. It's just so tiny and suffocating for this world. That's it's overflowing or it should be in a way like empire felt big and return of the Jedi kind of squeezes it. You know, these places that they go Endor because it's all trees and it's like, who knows where you are on that planet? Nothing changes. I mean, I agree with you that Hoth, that Hoth feels big and Endor doesn't, but I think there is beauty. I mean, and this once again might be my bias, but some of Endor was shot in Muir Woods where I grew up. And so that to me, that's your bias. (laughs) Seems very beautiful. Like the Redwoods. It's gorgeous. It's definitely beautiful for like 10 minutes. I guess that's, that's my, the major difference between these two movies for me is that return of the Jedi is a conclusion of a story that's been like set in a story and design that's been set in motion it's like so based on the hero's journey and so right. like this right. knight needs to face his father. Whereas the Phantom Menace is the beginning of George Lucas starting to plot through design. So like he's walking through Lucasfilm with his little approved red stamp and that's how, you know, things start happening and they come together and it's a fun little potpourri of design. But it, I think you're criticizing the whole prequel trilogy right now when you say these things. No, I'm talking about Phantom Menace specifically. Like, they didn't build any sets taller than Liam Neeson, because why would they? Because he's just going <laughs> to design the background, like, after after that. Actually, they built sets, and George Lucas thought the windows were too tall, so they rotoscoped all everyone in the Jedi Temple down. That's amazing. And they moved the windows down. 
Uh, the other thing, the other thing, so it's a choice after that. Is is plot wise with Phantom Menace, like the pod racing, all of that aside, it's so weird. And and maybe this is just me criticizing the the prequels, but it's so weird because Palpatine is like, I mean, the movie knows that the audience knows who Palpatine is, but it's yes. also sort of treated like it's kind of a secret. And well, this is a mistake made in Attack and Revenge, I think. Like, you can play that game in Phantom Menace, and it's fun. Like, yes, this guy is a Phantom Menace. Uh, <laughs> but you can't keep going with that into Attack of the Clones. I hate Attack of the Clones. I really think it's the worst. Uh, and, but it's a misstep to continue that mystery on and on and on. It's, but not, Ian Mc- it's, fun. it's not Ian McDermott's fault because he's great. Like, no, I really I like him. But, like, just the – yeah, the premise of – I mean, the fact that, like, the camera – you know, there's always two, the, you know, the master and the apprentice when it comes to Sith, but which one was Darth Maul? And then the camera like shoots to Palpatine. Like that is kind of fun, but it still just feels like not clean. It doesn't feel clean. They can't make it a mystery because we already know his name is Palpatine. We already know we, <laughs> if we didn't know the actor, we would Although already... at the time I remember there being a lot of theories like, wait, well, how why did this all work the, out? Why was he wearing the hood in all of like the fact that he's wearing the hood in all the communiques, it's so got weird. People going that did get people. You know why it's it so works? Weird. Because it's again, this is not. This is a for them movie, right? This is for kids, Anakin Skywalker's age in some ways. Who so you co- seen... could actually play that game with yeah. them. Yeah. If this was their first Star Wars movie, they wouldn't know. Maybe, and that'd be cool. Um, I, I'm, I want to go back to this design thing because I don't think okay, it's about sorry. all of. I don't, I don't think it's about all of the prequels. I think it's specifically about the Phantom Menace, and it might be what Patches is saying about this being a movie for kids of a certain age. But there's no reason to start the story here. Like at least with Attack of the Clones, you get the Clone War kicking off, and with Revenge of the Sith, you get the transformation into Darth Vader finally. But like, there's no reason that we need to start with figuring out that Anakin's like a good pod racer. That's not an essential piece of whatever story that is. Why promised. not? You want to see that he's good. You want to see that he has these skills that could easily be. Well, but uh, all we know from the original trilogy is that he's a great pilot, and so literally George Lucas can make up anything, and he decides to start at this age with pod racing on Tatooine. Because he wanted to do Ben-Hur, right? But it's not Ben-Hur. Well, he wanted to do Ben-Hur, but he, I mean, it works on a narrative level because it makes this world feel vibrant and alive. Like, all these side characters have something to do on a Sunday afternoon. Go watch pod racing. I think that's really cool. But, like, there's also other, like, filler. Like, the original trilogy, there's, like, no no mention of, like, Qui-Gon Jinn ever existing because there's sort of, like, hints that Obi-Wan was trained directly by Yoda. When would there have been a mention? Hey, Luke, I, look, I know we have a long way to go to this moon that we're going to. Uh, oh, wait, no, it's a Death Star. Uh, well, no, no. But, hey, doesn't, wait, no, no, <laughs> tell you about doesn't, Qui-Gon. Doesn't Obi-Wan seem, I thought that Obi-Wan, when he tells the story of, of Anakin Skywalker, he makes it sound like they were classmates, like brought up and trained together as like brothers at the same level. No, and then brothers. later you find out that he trained Anakin. No, he, could, he says, I, I thought I could train him as well as master yoda and return of the jedi which just skips over the qui-gon thing and they like they're sitting on a log talking to each other as like the perfect time to bring anything up and also like the whole concept of force ghosting which starts with qui-gon jinn would be a good time to bring that up but yeah but there's no time it's like 
Luke has to go save the day. He can't just be like, <laughs> man, remember, you know, well, Obi Wan and Ghost War was like, there was this time with Qui Gon and I, and then Luke would be like, who's Qui Gon? Oh, well, I, got, I got to tell you this whole story. Well, he was very tall, <laughs> very dashing. Once upon a time, there was a man with long hair and a beard. Those gaps in the plot exist uh, with Touch our expectation of what the story of the prequels are going to be, because all we know is this is like the saga of Darth Vader and the. The few things that we do know come from Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back when we knew Darth Vader was Luke and Leia's father. So why there's nothing about any of the conversations they have with anybody that's like, 32 years before you discovered the Force was a thing, there was this pod race that your slave father was in. But that's, that's one, that's huge nitpicking because it was the responsibility of the rest of the trilogy to make that work. But I do think it's an interesting choice. I know that we've all heard Patton Oswalt's stand-up special, like, railing against Phantom Menace for, like, <laughs> why do we want to see Anakin Skywalker as a kid? Well, you don't, you dumb fuck, you know, man-child. Get out of here. Uh, oh, wow. But it's the beginning, um, it's the beginning wait, of I love Patton Oswalt. I should just say that. It's the beginning of a story I, of an ex- <laughs> And that stand-up, that, that, that set of jokes is really, really funny. It's so funny. <laughs> it's really Ugh, funny. here he is as a little kid. You like Boba Fett? Ugh. <laughs> okay. He's a little kid. Um, but, that, but that is, we want to see... We want to see older Jedi, right? Make yes. Anakin a kid so that we can see people like Qui-Gon. We can see a legacy of being Jedi and seeing old masters go right into the action. That's cool. Um, so you want to have Anakin as a kid so we can see like where he really started. It's, these criticisms just feel like Attack of the Clone problems to I mean, me. But uh, Attack of the Clones feels necessary because it has the marriage and because it has the formation of the clone army that it will eventually kill all the Jedi. I'm saying that, like, Return of the Jedi functions as the end of the story that it's set up, whereas so, I'm not sure the Phantom Menace functions as the beginning of the story that the prequel trilogies tell. I, I think, think it's a design-based movie. A lot more credit than it deserves in how successful it is in wrapping this story up with characters that we love. You know, rail against the pod racing scene all you want but Jabba's Palace is a complete waste of time and I find it to be very boring um, how many times can we go back to Jabba's chamber with a new person coming in front of him uh, you know, <laughs> it's Leia then it's Luke actually first it's a droid then it's Leia then it's Luke then or Han gets a moment get me out of the fucking Jabba's Palace <laughs> on with the movie what are they here to do the Return of the Jedi starts 40 minutes into Return of the Jedi no, they have to rescue Han. No, they don't have to rescue Han. This is the problem with the movie. They, I mean, yes, they do have you to You would just him. leave Han and Carbonate for the whole oh, movie? I would absolutely not. I would find a way to do this <laughs> in a more exciting way that like, starts it off with a bang. You know, we're lucky to have Empire Strike Back put Han into Carbonite, but make this an opening scene. You know, a Bond movie does not start with 30 minutes of cold open. Uh, a Bond movie kicks it off right there. 15 minutes of cold open. Um, one of my problems with Jedi, I will admit, is that I, I find Jedi, full on Jedi Luke, is not very interesting to me. Right. Because he's kind of chilly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when Luke shows up all in black and is so icy, you know, I'm like, oh, this isn't the Luke. You know, I mean, I I can joke about impetuous, whiny, you know, I got to go to Tashi Station, pick up some power converters, Luke. But it's more interesting to me than than I don't know, cool hand Luke or whatever you want to call him. But um, (laughs) yeah. 
Um, but but Qui Gon robot hand Luke <laughs> robot hand Luke but but Qui Gon and and Obi Wan in Phantom Menace you know they're they're great Jedi's they're very good at what they do but they have more personality than than Jedi Luke winds up with so or or yeah they have more personality and and clear direction in life you know Qui Gon is going to be the quiet master quiet gun master Jin. <laughs> and then obi-wan is gonna quip and have fun and be a little bit more of a renegade but still play by the rules and you know anakin he's a wily kid but that's that's what you get when you're freaking 10 11 years old uh and having to s- squeeze these guys into the same picture is is creates dynamic i'm with you luke in return of the jedi like what does luke learn by the end of return of the jedi how he hasn't really become a Jedi. He's not a good Jedi. Uh, and I don't see him really ending that story in a significant way. Just because he confronts Vader, because he confronts his father, I mean, they don't really have issues. Maybe we'll find out in December. Oh, well, that's not an answer. I'm talking about <laughs> Jedi, point A to point B. Like, what is learned here? What is the movie about? I the know most- what Star Wars Episode four, if you will, uh, is, is about, <laughs> it's about a kid becoming a hero. Um, the most interesting thing to me out of this conversation <laughs> is this glimpse of my own mortality, which is to know that there's the same amount of time has lapsed between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace as um, Phantom Menace and Episode 7. Isn't that crazy? That's true, although we had, you know... Our last Star Wars movie was no. Sith, so we had. It's true. The wait's longer, but we're all aging and like. Well, so this is part of it too. Like, I mean, I the prequels about, feel like they just happened, but I guess they didn't. So right. yeah. getting, getting old. Well, yeah. I do. I do want to say that you know the narrative of Phantom Menace can be difficult to defend. I'm not saying that the trade mumbo jumbo is all that interesting. Although I do like getting to see. Uh, Coruscant and getting to see the the politics like this world is thriving it's it's a big big galaxy and e- even the ETs show up in the uh, in the in the in the Supreme Court where where are they what is that called the the Galactic Senate Senate Galactic Senate yes that makes much more sense than Supreme Court um, <laughs> yeah the ETs are there you know Queen Amidala she's making speeches she's important she's strong woman in this world she's gonna make a difference and she's not uh gonna let anyone uh, tread on her on her space this is a cool dynamic and she's young too and i think that's important to know but all that narrative stuff yeah it's difficult to defend but i do find beauty in it you know i'm watching jar jar qui-gon and obi-wan swimming underwater to uh the gungan city that is that is really striking how many all these like sunset shots in coruscant really cool stuff and again a part of it is because they feel so tangible they're miniatures amplified by this new cg paint that we have to play with um and they and yeah and in the end it's all wrapped up in this meta experience of getting to revisit star wars after so long and with new not just new technology but like a new love a new angle to it all uh and it still feels wrapped up in that for me definitely um but i can understand yeah nostalgia Perhaps it's, is part of this, but I don't really have like a deep nostalgic <laughs> love for Phantom Menace the way I see a lot of people criticize. Like as for like, it's a millennial fault that people love Phantom Menace. The millennial fault, okay. Um, oh. <laughs> stop. Uh, 
Here's a, well, okay. What's fun about this for me is it's been a long time since we, the three of us, have talked about a, a piece of art. And it's fun for me to remember that the thing that I love often is tied to character, and the thing that Patches love he like you, you love character, but this idea of opening and spectacle and that sort of stuff is is more important to you than it is to me. And you know, for me, when when Obi Wan and Qui Gon and Jar Jar are going up through the core, the planet. Um, and they're being attacked by these big monsters, undersea monsters. And that's all, like, kind of boring to me. And Jar Jar's being really annoying, and I don't like it. But then Qui-Gon knocks Jar Jar out with some force power, where he's like, calm down, and Jar Jar, like, passes out. And then Obi-Wan quips, you overdid it. And I'm like, that's that's great. I want to watch that movie. Like, that's character stuff that's interesting, more interesting to me than all those big monsters. And I can accept what you're saying, Patches, which is just that Phantom Menace is not for me. It's a movie for young children. And not a movie for me. But if it's a movie for young children, then what the crap is the Trade Federation doing? <laughs> I don't. That would not be my only defense of Phantom Menace. That it's for children. I, I mean, all the Star Wars movies on some level are are were for children. Uh, I just think that Return of the Jedi rambles. It's stuck in a limbo between being singular and being for them, being a living, breathing Wikipedia article, <laughs> which I, in some ways, think Phantom Menace is. It's just about uh, expanding the universe in an EU-type way. By the time we got to it, uh, we, we filled the many, many cracks of Return of the Jedi with books that detailed all the character names. We were talking before about um, the Max Rebo band and, you know, on all these different – the names of these different players in the Max Rebo band and uh, – I'm trying to remember them now. Cy Snooties. Is that her name? Wow. Snoodles? Snoodles? Wow. Snoodles? Snoodles? I think, oh. I think, I think that's the, really close. Oh, damn. I was so close. Uh, Drew Big McCool, you know, mm-hmm. our favorite. And, um, Kinda. like, that stuff makes that movie better. And Star Wars doesn't live only in its on screen relic. Uh, Phantom Menace doesn't end when the credits roll, it ends. It, it never ends. We're just constantly talking about it. We're still talking about it right now, but we're still talking about the characters. Like Jar Jar is such a like it never ends. It took yeah, Jar Jar is such a disaster. It. Jar Jar is such a disaster, but we keep talking about him because we can't believe that someone had the audacity to make him and to put him in a film and to see how he would function in the Star Wars universe. And you know, we were talking about um, this was off the podcast, but we were talking about all these theories about is Jar Jar a Sith Lord? Like if you. If you deem anticipation and discussion about movies, and we'll get to this with Star Wars 7, uh, as part of the experience, then the aftermath of something like Phantom Menace is just as important. We wouldn't have the Clone Wars. We wouldn't have all these cool things that we got from Phantom Menace without all these planted seeds in Phantom Menace. Um, it's, It's took on a life of its own in a more important way than Return of the Jedi. It is lasting longer and it's more important to the Star Wars universe than Return of the Jedi is. And that, in the end, matters. It's complete nonsense. But that's <laughs> <laughs> it's complete nonsense to say that Phantom Menace... I mean, you're saying our, like, our anger around Phantom Menace is lasting longer than Return of the Jedi. And, like, what, and Return of the Jedi is about... I mean, we're not going to talk about the new movies out of deference to patches. But, like, you're talking about how Phantom Menace, like, spawned... Clone Wars and all this other stuff. Well, Return of the Jedi, we're about to see what it spawned because we're going to get the continuation of that story now, right? Well, maybe. We'll we'll see when we finally get the movie, but I can't imagine there's much 
I'm not talking plot wise. It's not a spoiler. I'm just saying like, no, I know it's, this is, this is what comes next. But I I feel like return of the Jedi lives in a bubble. Like maybe the successful part of return of the Jedi is the part I don't like as much, which is Jabba's palace, because that is what prevails and spun into so many different books and comics and, uh, you know, fan fiction that helped star Wars take on a life of its own. In fact, return of the Jedi fucks up Luke's arc, uh, so badly that it, there's nothing we want to talk about about that. And I can only see a seventh Star Wars movie kind of, yeah, so these characters are still around, but here's a whole new thing that has nothing to do with what happened in Return of the Jedi because uh, it was kind of boring. Dave's like biting his tongue so hard. So hard. Probably, probably bleeding. <laughs> but it, it's cool. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, think, I think we've reached as much of a mid-ground as, as we want. But I think I, you're right, but I also think we should have a conversation after Patches watches the movie. Oh, oh, I think that'll definitely happen. Great. Because we'll have that, and we'll have to live with it, like Patches said, or threatened us with Phantom Menace forever. <laughs> Time to jump ship, spoiler-phobes. There's been an awakening. Come December 18th, or actually December 17th at 7 p.m. I don't know if you guys have heard, but this movie called The Force Awakens is coming out. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I heard, it's, uh, I heard it's expensive. I heard it's, uh, I heard some people are excited about it. Yeah, and I've been uh, sort of like steeped in spoilers since the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney meant that there was going to be uh, new Star Wars movies, like right, right from the beginning I was like tracking down what the Arndt draft was about, which was apparently this pre-existing story that they tossed out when J.J. Abrams came aboard, who brought on Lawrence Kasdan. Is it the pre-existing story that George Lucas told them about, or no? I think it was completely different. I think Lucas had like an outline, and they maybe tried to figure that out. The, from what I've heard, that um, Lucas had like uh, grandkids. So like younger, much younger teenagers as the uh, the leads, and then the older, you know, Grandpa Luke would be would be around doing his Jedi thing. Much younger teenagers, good Lord, George, George Lucas never learns. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, supposedly they tossed that out, uh, and then because J.J. Abrams didn't really want to deal with like younger teenagers, and as well he shouldn't. But I think they're going to stick with some of the the basic outlines, which is that this is you know a story about generations of a Force family, you know, kick, kicking around the galaxy and uh, having this big operatic battle, and then yeah. all these other like side movies are going to jump in. We'll get into um, we'll get into the plot details later, and like I, as I told you, I haven't really been looking up any spoilers, but I am really impressed the extent to which like everyone thinking that Ray is Luke and, or uh, Han and Leia's daughter that they have like really not had to address that. Like they have kept that as guessing, and like maybe you know some spoiler stuff that I don't, but like 
as opposed to the whole John Harrison Khan thing. Like it really has remained under wraps, even though we all can know it's a story about generations and family. Like I'm really impressed by how they've done that. Yeah. And they, they might've, I don't They've been really controlled with the amount of information and it hasn't become frustrating to me until like the past few weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it's, I, I don't know. It's the same. It's, it's especially when you have something like Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, like revealing major villains of its third act that. Yeah. Know, but does that make, does that make you happy when you see a trailer do that? Oh, I don't know if it makes me happy, but it did draw into stark relief how little I know about Star Wars. So, like, you sent me mm-hmm. something today that are the most commonly used footage, or includes the most commonly used footage from all of the trailers. And there's, like, you know, shots of Kylo Ren that are, like, in nine different trailers, but it's yeah. the exact same shot. But And it's, like, basically all we've seen of Kylo Ren. Right. And, like, only very, like, we still haven't seen him, like, face on, except in <laughs> Vanity Fair. Uh, without his mask or heard what his voice is going to sound like without the mask. And if you sort of... His voice is going to sound like Adam Driver without the mask. Presumably. But I don't know if he's like doing a thing or... Oh, yeah. Supposedly he's going real method. And like, I have my own theories about this character, but I'm fairly sure... You know, we're since he's one of the new faces of Star Wars, they're going to be spending some time with him in this new trilogy. Mm -hmm. And... I am really looking forward to an actor like Adam Driver uh, mucking around in Star Wars because everyone keeps saying, like, we've never had an actor or a character like this. And I'm like, oh, my God, he must be doing something really crazy. Yeah. Like this Darth Vader fanboy thing. As much as you like digging up spoilers, and this is, like, a big part of what you enjoy about movies, like, isn't there something kind of satisfying about even you knowing so little about a major element of that? Maybe. It's not that I don't know about them. It's that I kind of want to see them. Yeah, I mean, that's the curiosity that gets people to buy movie tickets, I guess. Right. But, uh, or just like a glimpse of it, or like even that they're they're playing around. I mean, they're starting to put together entire sequences now of like the middle action part of this film uh, just by like putting a new shot in a new TV spot like every other day. What part are you? What part do you think is the middle action sequence of the movie uh i'm gonna say the jungle planet okay Uh, yeah if if we want to split the movie into like planets the jungle planet part i think we're getting the most we've seen the most of what happens outside of like jack who and like even jack who is what like all like disney uh, daisy ridley and John Boyega running around on the desert planet with BB-8 is what I feel like I've seen far, far by far the most of. Right, but there's weird things about Jakku that like there's still unanswered questions in the sense that there's a you know there's a whole junker ecosystem that Ray's a part of that you know Simon Pegg is going to play a character in and there's like other you know we saw the whole market which we've only barely seen in the in the trailers we see like Ray fighting somebody there but we don't know who she's fighting. And that's the thing that uh, J- that was like one of the first things we saw from the set of like JJ Abrams did a video like with all those practical puppets in the background in that market. And that was one of the first like exciting things people saw. Right. And then also all the stuff that's on fire at night uh, in the trailers, I believe, is also on Jakku. So even though we've seen a lot of it, I don't think we've seen like the scenes like we've seen all the transition yeah. action. But like what's actually going to happen on there is for me much more mysterious than what happens on the jungle planet, which I think because of that entrance shot of Han Solo entering the castle with all the flags 
mm-hmm. uh, sort of like establishes why they're there and where it is and then what happens to it uh, with all the X-Wing battle stuff they've been showing. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I had like, and, and I haven't really made the effort to p- put these pieces together because I'm kind of, am happy to just look at whatever they're showing me. But what I like about it is like, I know that it's about uh, Finn and Ray, and I know that they eventually find Han Solo, and I know that, you know, you see Finn in the same place as uh, Oscar Isaac, who is tortured by Kylo Ren. Like, you kind of get all these connections, but I don't get, I don't really know what Kylo Ren's up to, or what he wants, or, like, what is the driving force that brings all these people together, which, again, I find just totally fascinating, that I have enough of a sense of the characters of the movie, and I really want to see what Captain Phasma does, but I don't know anything about the plot. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I also, I mean, I have ways that I would answer all of those questions, but I don't <laughs> think that they are the answer necessarily. Like, I think well, so, but you have, like, you feel really strongly about some things that, like, I don't I mean, I, I mean, I, should I just say, are we, yeah. are we doing a spoiler for you? You feel really strongly that Han Solo is going to die in this movie. Yes. But you don't know that. Mm, no. So what I'm just I mean, I guess you don't have to go into the whole process, but like there are a lot of things that you just feel like, you know, even though you haven't like read a leaked script page that tells you this. Well, there was a leaked shot list that included who was there for that scene. OK, um, so there's a handful of people that could guess. And then there's a there's a Ray crying over somebody shot in the trailer that is yeah, yeah, throwing yeah. Up basically the exact same guesses. Um, the the Han Solo thing is just that the reason that was one of the first things that sort of came by everybody's mind is that Harrison Ford was never really into the idea of returning as Han Solo. And when this was announced, all it was initially announced is we have Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, like from the moment Disney bought, uh, Lucasfilm, uh, when Harrison Ford joined is sort of might've been script dependent, but it's at least hasn't been disclosed yet in the narrative of what the behind the scenes of this movie is. Um, he always argued since empire that the right thing for Han Solo to do was to die. Yes. Um, and so I felt like that was a good place to start. And as soon as like things started leaking out that maybe we wouldn't be seeing as much as Luke as we thought because Han Solo would be in the Obi-Wan Kenobi role. I took that as Han Solo will be in the Obi-Wan Kenobi role. Hmm. So I feel more sure about that than I do about parentage at this point. Oh, interesting. Like, what? I mean, I would be so surprised if, I mean, do you think, like, maybe Rey is Luke's daughter instead? Like, she's got to be someone's daughter, right? Uh, yes, I think so. But there's also the possibility that that isn't referenced as much in this film as mm. we think it is considering that's a question on everybody's mind. Okay. Uh, I would actually, I would, I would also really love it if they pull a Louie and just make Finn, uh, Han and Leia's son just to be like, yeah, fuck race. Who cares? He's their son. That'd be interesting, but I think it would piss would off never, too many oh, people oh who are God. buying action figures. It would piss off so many people, but I would be greatly amused. All the racists who have been complaining about this from the beginning, just one final middle finger to them. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people, if it goes the way that I was just hinting at, they're going to be mad that we spent a whole movie with basically like, who's the Skywalker blue balls? And they're going to be like, that's not what this movie was about. The Force Awakened. We're like, but, huh. Because like the theory is, if there's going to be an echo of the original trilogy in this trilogy the second movie is the big reveal mm-hmm. movie 
this yeah. movie is just the stage setting movie, the call to action movie. And so, yeah, like, no, like they never told you that this was about who is, who are this girl's parents? Like if you're mad about that, because it's not what, it's not about what you predicted it would be about based on your trailer analysis. Like that's not on them. Right. And then it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if that happens, but I do think parentage will be discussed in this movie. I'm just not sure if it's like fully revealed because like people, somebody's told you that Luke Skywalker probably isn't in this movie a lot. Right. Yeah, I mean, I know that there's the whole uh, where's Luke in the trailers thing. Like, I assume that there will be some acknowledgement of what's going on with him, even if he's not in the movie that much. Yes, Mark Hamill was definitely around, and I don't think that was just trolling uh, us, although that would be great. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, in the credits of the, or, like, on the poster or whatever. I mean, he's not on the poster, but, like, his, you know, he's in this movie somewhere. Right, and because of a leaked photo, we kind of know what he looks like, but that was just more confirmation that he's actually in the movie. Yeah. So it's, but it's going to be interesting. For me, where I'm at is this movie, talking about it, is starting to frustrate me because there's not going to be any more information until it's just all out there. So yeah, like, I'm circling which is two weeks stuff. from now. Right, but now you see what it's doing to me is it's making me preemptively <laughs> ask questions about the next movie, and we're still yeah. like two years away from that. So it's just this perpetual like, cycle. But that's yeah, that's you buying into this perpetual cycle that like I agree is very fun to talk about upcoming movies. But like, there's other things to talk about for a little while. Like there are ways to look forward to this movie without clinging to needing more information about it. Yes, that's true, and they are providing a lot of ways of doing that. Many of which I'm participating in by the fact. That I mean, like, just Star watch Wars that. Games. Watch that video of Harrison Ford surprising those people on the YouTube video again. That was pretty satisfying. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's everything I do with my Sphero BB-8 is like deeply satisfying in a Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars way. The sound of lightsabers turning on is starting to like get re-satisfying again, which <laughs> was like that gone for two of the prequel movies. Yeah. See, Star Wars has already brought so much light to your heart. I mean, it's going to be fun. I just, I wish, uh, there's things like uh, in the Rolling Stone article, they're referring to what the super weapon is, and it's a different name than what we've heard. And in the Rolling Stone article, they maybe allude that they were just making up a name while the reporter was there. And I'm like, Uh, oh, just. See, knowing there's a super Knowing that there's a super weapon, you just made me very concerned. Like, all I can think of is that red ball in Star Trek, which is a movie I love, but, like, super weapons do not feel to me like what Star Wars is about. Really? I don't know. Like, is the Force a super... Is it the Death Star? Like, what's the previous example of something like that? Both Death Stars. There have been two Death Stars. Okay, fine. I... When you say super weapon, I think like a MacGuffin that everyone's trying to get to prevent the end of the world. But if it's the Death Star, that's different. Well, they're they're one and the same. But like the Death Star is like a location. It's not like everyone is running around the world to try to get their hands on this box. You know what I mean? Like, like not a Mission Impossible plot. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, there's one of those in this movie, too, but it has nothing to do with super weapon. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it's but it's like uh, uh, it's like Tarkin says in the A New Hope. It's like the Emperor's ways are fine, but you don't rule through like an old religion. You rule through a like big show of power. And so here, the First Order isn't that concerned with the Force, since you know Han Solo's like it's true, which means they've been kind of mythologizing it. So like the greatest power in the universe is a super weapon that could do crazy stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, and like when they've done that chase the MacGuffin around the planet thing well, like I'm down with it. So that's yeah. fine. Empire Strikes Back is mostly chase while uh, Luke's uh, training with Yoda. It's more just about like when you get into movies where it's like this thing is super important because and there's like no like reason behind the thing that's making everyone go crazy. And that's what's cool about the force is there's like a it's powerful, but it's also got like a whole spiritual training thing to it. So just devil's advocate, if the movie were to pose its question, like you just said, this thing's really important because and then ended, how mad would you be? I don't think I mean, I, again, it like depends on how well they pull it off. Like if it makes it so that it's engaging fight and like it's not just every action sequence is being like, oh, and this then the bad guy got away with this thing. But like I think Star Wars is too big a tapestry for that. I don't think it's go- I don't think it's going. I mean there's just so many characters involved. There's like so many different things to see. Like the worlds they're creating are really interesting. I, I don't think it will be as kind of dumb and simple as what I'm describing. And I'm trying to think of a good like Mission Impossible Five had that, but Mission Impossible Five was pretty good. Yeah. Maybe maybe we will just be on a thrill ride. Sure. That'll make writing the review so much easier. A thrill ride. Well, and if it's a thrill ride as opposed to like some convoluted political saga like the prequels, like that's fine. That's a good point. I'll never be as let down as I was right after the Phantom Menace ended. Oh, so you you knew right away that the Phantom Menace was no good? It ends with a giant frog lifting a ball of laser ball of light over its head as Anakin Jake Lloyd has a rat tail. <laughs> it's just just bad. It's bad. But a lot of people saw it at the time and kind of I uh, tried to convince themselves that it was good, so. Well, I mean, I was in line with all the people, but yeah, there was a deflating thing. I mean, I wouldn't have said it was bad immediately afterwards, but it, I deflated. And it's, I'm hoping okay. here I don't, because already, like, my family and friends, and then just the first screening I could get into, I'm going to see this movie, like, three times in a week. Yeah, are you uh, are you planning to wear anything in particular? Um, no, most of the theaters around here are not, uh, into that. Uh, I think yeah. light- lightsabers are also banned. Lightsabers and masks, right? I might wear my Jon Snow Lives t-shirt. <laughs> just as promotion for the podcast. Yeah. Or also just to see if it pisses anybody off. Sure. Just go start some fights at a movie theater. That seems like a good idea. And that does it for the first installment of the Fighting in the War Room Star Wars specials. On this episode, you heard Joanna Robinson from Vanity Fair's Hollywood. You could follow her on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. Matt Patches of Thrillist Entertainment. You could follow him on Twitter at MrPatches. Myself, Dave Gonzalez, is my first name, DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. And we closed out with Miss Katie Rich, also of Vanity Fair's Hollywood, at Katie Rich on Twitter. Uh, we're going to have one more episode before The Force Awakens happens, and then probably a post-Force Awakens episode. And that doesn't mean this is going to be the end of our Star Wars specials, because next year we have Star Wars Rogue One. And then, the year after that, Star Wars Episode Eight, And the year after that, the Han Solo anthology movie. And then, the year after that, Star Wars Episode Nine. And by then, we'll probably know about a whole bunch more Star Wars. So, stick around at FightingInTheWarRoom.com for more pop culture discussion and tons more Star Wars.